I recently reconnected with a buddy from college who was applying to grad school. He had my wife and me over for an outdoor happy hour and introduced us to his toddler, Benjamin. Ben was properly social distanced from us, sipping his organic orange juice and coloring at his kitty table, while the adults enjoyed some much-needed Californian red. I asked Ben what he was drawing on, and he held up his masterpiece, a true Jackson Pollock in the making. Upon further inspection, though, I realized that Ben was coloring on a stack of MBA program brochures. Thinking this may have been an accident, I signaled to my buddy and made sure he knew what his son was up to. Oh, yeah, that's all trash, he said. Ever since I took the GMAT, I get so many postcards, brochures, and other mailers, and honestly, they all just look the same. More so than ever before, colleges and universities need to stand out. The pursuit of different is not a luxury like it was in 2018. It's a must-have in 2021. If you think there's even a remote chance that there's another Ben out there, coloring on your school's collateral, it's time to start a conversation with our friends at Unincorporated. Unincorporated is a higher education agency committed to building brand awareness, growing enrollment, and launching programs for universities. Among the myriad services they offer, including course design, enrollment marketing, social media advertising, website development, and email marketing, they specialize in crafting experiences and assets that compel a second look. If Nike or Apple decided to venture into the higher education branding space, their top competitor would be Unincorporated. If your email communication flow templates are stuck in 2010, or your program brochures look like they could have been made in Microsoft Paint, it's time to give Unincorporated a call. To learn more about their offerings, or to sign up for their weekly trends in higher education news brief, visit unincorporated.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's unincorporated.com forward slash enrollify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Cruz, and I am your host for today's episode. And today, uh, we are recording from Carlsbad, California. There's some nice pitter-patter of rain coming in, uh, coming onto the roof, making some nice little white noise. Hopefully, everyone stays awake uh, for, for this week's episode. Uh, but today, I am joined by none other than even... Ian Evanstar, gosh, I cannot speak today, Ian. And my apologies there. I, I don't. Maybe it's the rain or or, or something's going on. But Ian Evanstar, who is the CEO and founder of Unincorporated, welcome to the show, Ian. It's really good to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And no problem about the rain. It's nice, and I want to curl up with a little book. And no problem with the name uh, either. You know, people always get it wrong. Usually, they call me. Evan, I've heard that, or Ian, so even totally Ian Star or something like that. Yeah, right. you know? <laughs> um, it's no, great to be here. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate you taking some time out of your your busy schedule to join us. We've got a lot of uh, questions for you, and excited for uh, our conversation. Just selfishly, even to to learn from you, I've uh, I have haven't known about Unincorporated for too long, but in the little time that I have known about you all, I've been very impressed by the work that you all do and really your team is just a, a 
team chock full of exceptional people. So looking forward to diving into all of that momentarily. But before we go any further, uh, Ian, uh, one of the ways I like to introduce guests to our listeners is to throw out a scenario um, to them that gives them the opportunity to share a little bit more about who they are and, and what they do. So my little scenario for you is you're sitting around your dining room table and your five-year-old kid asks you what you do at work all day. How do you go about responding to them? Yeah, that's a that's a great opener. Uh, part of what I, I lo- love about that is you assume that most families sit around dining room tables these days, <laughs> right? That's They're true. That's true. TV <laughs> on the couch uh, with a, with their plate on their lap, but no, I mean, you know, just to anecdotally, oftentimes I would respond. What I do every day is I'm either babysitting or I'm firefighting, and so what that might mean is you know really helping to make sure that uh, everyone is taken care of. You mentioned the team. I have an incredible team. It's it's taken years to build this A team. So very proud of the the team that we have now, and yet they still need direction. They still need guidance. So that would be maybe the babysitting part of it. And then firefighting, you know, there's, there's emergencies, deadlines. Uh, Oftentimes um, there are maybe even bigger challenges or bigger fires to put out. We saw uh, last year, everyone went home and within the educational system, faculty had to learn like on the spot how to transition into an online environment. So yeah, so I think babysitting and firefighting would be one answer. Uh, The other answer, if I was feeling mysterious, I might say, I'm a secret agent and I've been sent to this planet in order to make the world a better place. And I do believe that based on the, the vision of the agency and the mission that we have day to day, that's really our true calling and of course, if if my son was interested in learning more, we'd go a little bit deeper. Love that firefighting, babysitting, and special agent. I, you know, what 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 more could you ask for in a career? Um, that that really does uh, run the gamut uh, in terms of roles and responsibilities and interesting experiences, problems that you're able to tackle. I I like that. Very very well said. Um, and then, can you just give us the sort of elevator pitch for unincorporated? What do you guys actually do? And from your perspective, I always like to ask founders and and you know leaders at these companies that service the the education space. What do you think you and your team do best? Um, I know that that's a uh, the temptation is to say everything, um, but getting mm-hmm. a little bit more deeper and a little bit more specific, give us an, some insight into what you all do and then what you think that you guys do especially best. Yeah, so that's. Also a great question, a lot to unpack in, in, the, in an answer like that. Um, so I'm also a faculty member at Cal State LA. I teach branding, business practice, advanced design there. And we, we work on the elevator pitch because it's that one question that always comes up. What do you do? Or tell me about yourself, right? If you're sitting down for a job interview, it's easy to dig a hole <laughs> and then jump into the hole uh, as you're trying to claw your way out in terms of describing what you do because we do so many things and the agency is certainly no different. The, uh, the, the creative agency really tries to serve clients across the board. And I'll, I'll read you what we have on our, our website and then we can kind of dig in maybe a little bit further to that in terms of expertise. Uh, but we're a higher ed 
agency. Uh, so we're committed to building awareness and helping universities, colleges, and programs grow enrollments. So what are our tools, you, you might ask? Well, we use design, we use branding, and we use marketing in order to solve those challenges, in order to build awareness for colleges, programs, and universities, and also use those same tools in order to grow enrollments. Uh, we partner with deans, senior administration, faculty. Usually these folks are, are feeling the pressure either from like their budget, right? And, and, and the resources they have like financially in or, order to build awareness or grow enrollment. And they're feeling pressure because maybe they don't have the in-house expertise in order to accomplish these, these big goals or put out these fires. So we step in as experts and really guide them, uh, these groups within higher ed uh, through the process. Grow student interest is one of our main goals. Designing branding content is also a, a main goal. And you know, there's in rare occasions the, uh, the opportunity to launch a new program, like an, a new degree program or a new course. And uh, again, we, we come at it from branding, marketing and design as those special tools to support them. And in what interested you initially about higher ed? Were you were you sort of set on being a faculty member and then kind of fell into the agency side of things as like a oh hey I'm I'm I understand a lot about sort of uh, academia. I understand sort of a lot about the challenges that higher ed is facing, and I have some ideas on what some of those solutions to those problems would be. And so you spun up the agency as sort of like an afterthought, or how did you, as somebody who has had the, uh, has had quite a career um, and done a, a wide variety of things, how did you land in um, the higher education agency services space? Yeah, so great question. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to respond there. It's curious because often you'll go through university, you'll gain a, a credential or degree, and you might pursue that degree or that learning and then find your way into academia and become a faculty member. Once there, it's difficult, unless you have like a private practice, it's often difficult for a faculty member to then go into private, you know, and, and, and own a company or, or really go into the private sector and let's say be entrepreneurial or run a business. And then conversely, if you go through your university, gain your credential, gain your experience, and then found a company, like in my case, it's very difficult to then get into the education space and become a faculty. So I feel really blessed that I'm actually able to wear both hats, that I can sit am amongst other faculty members that I uh, appreciate and respect, as well as be in service to higher education through the expertise that the agency provides uh, to, to higher ed. So back to your question, how did I land there? When I was young, I, I didn't come from a place of means and I had one pair of jeans. <laughs> I tell this story, this is my why story. And I had to wear that same pair of jeans every day. And of course they'd get dirty, you'd play in recess, you come home. I would wash them in the sink at night and growing up on the East Coast throughout the year, it would you know be winter out outside and those jeans were cold, they were wet. And I'd get on the bus 
And I'd be so afraid that someone would like touch my leg and know that I had just like washed my jeans and I couldn't dry them. And of course, everyone knew that I was poor. I mean, it was, it, you could take one look at me and, and see. And I, from that moment, I realized I'm going to do everything I can in order to excel in class because that's the one place I feel like I have equal footing to my classmates. Maybe we don't come from the same financial means, but at least educationally, I could compete. And so I went through high school, got you know all straight A's, finished top of my class through hard work. I certainly wasn't the smartest person, smartest kid in, in class. And USC, and to this day, I, I thank uh, University of Southern California for this. They gave me a full scholarship based on need and based on uh, the academic performance. Going through education, I landed in advertising, went through advertising, ended up back at USC as a design director. So I really began to learn how universities worked, how the different academic units played with the student service units. And I, I said, what's next? And I always felt that my pursuit of education, the, the fact that university gave me a chance to not only provide for myself, but provide for others, that I was going to move forward with an agency and I was going to support education because I believe it's the primary means for ascension. And if I can help enable colleges, universities, academies, give that same gift that they gave to me, that that's certainly a worthwhile cause and a higher purpose for the agency. Thank you for sharing that story. That was, uh, that was remarkable. And I uh, appreciate there's always something uh, especially powerful about hearing where people came from and what brought them to where they're at today and sort of those those stepping stones um, along the way. And mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that context. I, I really appreciate it. So a yeah. uh, follow-up question there just quickly. So during your time at USC, when you were leading up uh, design there, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, any sort of lessons learned in that role that have impacted the way that now as a consultant, you help coach other colleges and universities um, in, in how they think about their branding, their design, the fleshing out of their UVPs? Was there a particular story or, or anything that just comes to mind during that season of your life that has stuck with you to today? Mm. That's a, that's a, a really profound question. And it, I would say it depends on who who's listening, right. And, and who we're talking to, because there were many lessons and, and a lot of key takeaways during my time there from the agency standpoint, for example, you know, I, I learned how budgets were approved and how vendors were onboarded, right? Because we were always reaching out to different vendors for, for various reasons. We hired a number of external branding agencies to come in and support what we were doing internally on campus. So from an agency standpoint, like, you know, just having that knowledge of like what the process looks like in order to respond to an RFP and get a budget across and, and, um, ultimately, you know, win the business or, or win the, the opportunity to, to work on a project. So that was key. The other thing that was key during that time, it, as you were asking that question, what sprang to mind was 
there's a misconception that there is administrative bloat within the university system and, and that there's like tons of resources to go around. What I found was that it was the opposite, that we had these massive challenges like growing enrollment or launching a program or helping support a school. And we were very limited in this staff and the financial resources and the time based on the volume of other requests or other competing initiatives. So that was eye-opening as well. So that in essence led to maybe greater empathy and now knowing like what senior administration is faced with, what faculty groups are faced with, what career services, what they're trying to solve, having a sense of everyone's struggle and knowing that empathy has also stayed with me because now when I step in to, uh, to be a kind of a member or in service of a team, a college or a university, I know almost immediately like a set of challenges or problems that they're facing and experiencing and we can help navigate with those parameters. So that's kind of speaking both to the, uh, to the agency side as, as well as maybe uh, how, you know, how my, my experience there gave me a, a more accurate view of what's actually going on inside of the, you know, the, the iron gate, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense. I love this idea of understanding um, the friction involved in working in this space. And one of the things that comes to mind is in uh, in my agency experience, one of the lessons that I and my team have needed to learn with working with educational institutions as opposed to folks who've come from more traditional B2B or, or B2C spaces is that, you know, a lot of higher ed marketers and, and enrollment managers, uh, they, they aren't motivated by incentives of your first month's retainer or get 20% off if you sign by COB on March 31st, right? So I can count this towards my Q1 growth goals. It's like those sort of incentives that might work when you're dealing with like a small to medium sized business and you're ta- you're, uh, the, the, the customer is sort of like the CEO, um, herself and, uh, it, you know, that might motivate or convince somebody to, to sign on that dotted line and, and, you know, give you what you need to move forward on that 12 month services retainer, but in higher ed, right. That's something like that is just not possible, right? There's bureaucracy, there's procurement, right? The provost needs to sign off, et cetera. And so, um, it's, I, I would imagine it's been incredibly helpful to have seen up close and personal some of those challenges, some of those points of friction, some of those, those barriers, um, and to understand now, right. As somebody who is soliciting, um, services, uh, offering services to educational institutions of, of a wide variety, um, the empathy that you're able to bring to that process, I'm sure is felt and experienced by, uh, the very folks that you're pitching. So I, I, I really appreciate uh, that insight. And I think that that's, that's remarkable. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And, and if I were to just tag on and, and give real some very practical advice to a vice provost or, you know, someone, a, a dean even who's launching a new program. And, and there are some great deans who do this already, who have a vision and are willing to take the risk to execute and stand apart from other programs or other schools because of that unique vision. But the practical advice that I would say, and and I saw this a lot as well, is that there's a a level of like fear Mm -hmm. 
kind of built into maybe being authentic, being human, taking some risks or some challenges, like you know, a major brand in the private sector, they, they might be willing to, they're more willing, it, it feels, to take big creative risks or really stand behind like, this is what we believe in, this is what makes us different, and this is why you should care about us. So practical advice going out to any dean, vice provost, who you know who's thinking about leading a school, helping to differentiate, like, don't be afraid to take some of those uh, risks. Don't be afraid to be a, a bit more creative. Don't be afraid to to be to show the human side of of who you are and 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 what your classrooms may look like or, or who your faculty are. Just really humanize it and and don't. Uh, let fear stand in the way of you expressing that unique value proposition or, or what makes your school program or campus experience truly unique. I think that that's great insight. And, um, you know, today we're going to have a conversation around brand equity, and you have some interesting thoughts um, on this topic, especially sort of in light of the reality that we're all still living through that COVID has, you know, ushered us into and um, as we hopefully come out on the other side soon-ish, there are some things that will be fundamentally changed for forever. And um, I think that the one of the questions that a lot of higher ed marketers, a lot of people in leadership within, a, within higher education institutions are wrestling with right now is, what is our unique value proposition? Uh, the industry has been disrupted. There's more, you know, there was question around sort of the value of the traditional four-year degree before COVID. Um, COVID has exacerbated that that um, to the nth degree, more questions um, than, than answers probably. And I want to dive into just your thoughts on, on all of that in just a second. But to follow up on, on something that you said, um, and it's really a question I have just around what is, what does Ian think about this? I've spent a fair amount of time working with colleges and universities wrestling with questions around messaging and positioning and helping them identify what is it that is truly unique about this program, right? Or about your approach to offering this major. And, you know, across the board, I feel like there is this, um, more institutions fall into the camp of struggling to communicate their UVP and or identify their unique value propositions than folks that have, in my opinion, sort of like nailed it. And I wonder if, and this is my, this is my question to you, Ian, is do you think that's because the, the customer base, the target customer um, base for a institution is just so vast that like, for most institutions, right, you're you're trying to appeal to a wide uh, demographic. You're not just focused on one persona or two or three personas. You're focused on international students. You're focused on kids from rural America. You're focused on attracting people from inner city New York, right? And most institutions have this strategic interest to have a diverse student body and as such the the needs of those of those quote unquote customers are quite diverse and so is one of the reasons why schools struggle so much to effectively communicate and differentiate uh their uvps simply because of their target audience 
Yeah, I, I would say that that's certainly a facet. And there's the common phrase, you can't be everything to everyone, because otherwise you end up being nothing to no one, right? So there, there is certainly that. But at the same time, you can still, every campus, every college, every program, if you really have a, have a trusted guide or brand consultant, draw this out. Even though you're appealing or, or trying to cast this very broad net, even in that situation, there is something that makes your program unique, guaranteed. And I and I I think that there is a misconception that like, hey, we we have to try to appeal to this broad group, and it's difficult to communicate, you know, what truly makes us different. And for that reason, we're going to sound pretty much like every other college. Or, or course uh, degree program. And yeah, and, and, and I think that even though, the, the point I'm, I'm trying to emphasize here again is, even though you're appealing to a very broad audience, a global audience, if you will, there is always something that makes you uniquely different. There is always something within your vision, within your mission, even geographically, you know, within your location hmm. that can be an identifier and those identifiers, when we think of what a brand identity is, what defines who you are, those identifiers ultimately are going to be the thing that attract or filter out, you know, the, the, the right student. It has to be a good fit on both sides, but it'll, it'll filter out and bring the right student to your campus or to your program. One of the things that we like to talk a lot about is sort of like breaking out of the uh, four bullet framework, which is sort of like every university's uh, communication flows. I shouldn't say every several universities communication flows. You inquire, you're dropped into a, you know, five to eight email sequence. And, you know, the first email, sometimes all emails, they give you the, the four things that are unique about our institution. And all four things are pretty much the same as the other communication flow that you're that you're enrolled in. Small class sizes, good faculty to student ratio, right? Um, we have uh, we have the best program since sliced bread with respect to business, and ever it, it can be hard as a prospective student to, to sort of discern what is it that's actually unique about this program. Especially, I would say at at the graduate level, at the undergraduate level, you might be selling more general sort of experience, right? Like. A lot of 17-year-olds don't know exactly what it is that they want to study um, and or they might have an idea about what they want to study, but that changes as they get into school. But at the graduate level, it's incredibly important to be truly honest about what your program, who your program is best suited for and why it's best suited for that, uh, that target persona. And I think that there's just a ton of low-hanging fruit in the graduate recruitment space to, to, to sort of really double down on helping communicate clear, more clearly and, and more distinctly what it is that you offer, who it's the best fit for, and why it's the best fit for that, for that audience. So I'm curious, from your vantage point, can you just help us with, give us a little bit of a vocab lesson here? I, I think schools, um, well, I'll be careful. I think there's a temptation in higher ed to talk about marketing, branding, design as not interchangeable, but like there isn't necessarily a clear distinction 
that I think most people understand around the different roles that branding plays, especially, for, you know, branding and design. I think people, most people understand the difference between, you know, branding and marketing. But can you just flesh out a, a super simple, like, from your perspective, um, what is the difference between branding, design, and marketing in your own words? <laughs> yeah, and to make it super simple, we have to already have like a set of vocabulary terms and agreements around some core principles. So, you know, I could, I could tell you, for example, oh, Aunt, Aunt Sally, she went outside and, and slipped on the ice. Well, that's because you and I already know that ice is frozen water. It's a slippery surface. So we never really get into, like, well, why is it slippery? And, you know, what were the steps leading up to it? So to answer a simple question in simple terms, I'm going to assume that we have some level of baseline understanding. With branding, marketing, and design, from my perspective, in, in its clearest vocabulary, branding is really the expression of who you are, what you do, and why you matter. And that expression can take the form of where you show up physically, where you show up mentally, where you show up in the digital environment, even experientially, right? Think of all the places where who you are, what you do, and why you matter, where that's felt. So branding is, is simply that expression. Design oftentimes is broken down into the visual aspect of that expression, right? It's the, it's the way that the brand communicates itself visually. We, we call it visual communication. And, and most of the time, design is put into that category. But it can also be <laughs> the design or the execution of that brand in the way that you design your coursework, right? It could be in the way that you design the interior uh, of your facade and, and, and what that kind of ambiance or, or, or feel might be when you walk into the student center or you walk into the, 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 the center of campus. So design can, can play a role. It can execute uh, for, for, um, for your brand, not just visually, but through those other modes of, of communication as well. And then marketing for me is, is really about having a one-to-one -one conversation and it's distinct from advertising in a sense that advertising is like taking out the megaphone, megaphone and saying, hey, everybody, look over here, right? And just kind of broadcasting a, a very uh, loud message to many, many people and trying to catch who you can where marketing is figuring out, you know, who, who is most interested in your message? What are they thinking or feeling at certain points in their, in their journey? and then engaging them in a conversation. And of course, you know, moving them towards a conversion, an enrolled student, for example. So I, I think to simplify, branding is how you express who you are, what you do, and why you matter. Design is the execution of uh, who you are and, and what you do and why you matter. And marketing is really the content or the communication, the conversation that you're having along those those touch points. Very, very well said. I appreciate that that very simple framework. 
Um, and I love you gave a, a truly academic uh, uh, qualification at the start of your answer, which is <laughs> let's assume that we understand what ice is and what it means to slip. And I love that. I love your your faculty hat coming out there. Um, Thank you. Uh, just quick, quick uh, follow up conversation around how culture and sort of experience falls into the mix. And something that's coming to mind is. When I think about some of you know the best brands that I think differentiate themselves um, in sort of like the mainstream space, I think about like the difference in experience that I get from like a Chick Fil A from like a McDonald's or like a Trader Joe's from like a a Safeway or you know a giant grocery store um, or a Kroger, whatever it might be. And uh, from a cultural standpoint, when you walk into those stores, like the product isn't remarkably different. I know that people can argue about that um, to kingdom come, but really what I think is different about those brands is the way that they've like, uh, if I might be so direct to say, as to say sort of the way that they've designed the experiences of their stores. And um, from a cultural standpoint, how their employees interact with their customers that is what seems to be um, the greatest point of differentiation between them and their competitors. How how do you see sort of that element, um, like I guess the the experience component, factoring into this framework? Yeah, so you're right. It's all of those touch points that sort of make a, uh, a have a, a cumulative effect on what you believe or think about the brand. Uh, I believe it was uh, David Aker who kind of laid the, the foundation of what branding is and what a brand means, who said, you know, a, a brand isn't what you say about yourself, it's what other people say about you. And you're going to form an opinion based on those experiences and, and based on the, the many places you touch or interact with the brand. So how does that show up for university or for, for college programs? We've, we've been doing some really innovative things lately where we've essentially taken uh, brand ambassadors like recent alumni or uh, student ambassadors that are in program right now or, or attending uh, college right now and actually connected them with prospective students so they can hear firsthand you know, what the experience is like. They can address any top of mind questions. And so you know, letting letting your students be one of your leading brand ambassadors, I think that is, that's a clear way that you could start to differentiate and draw out without having to like, you know, uh, kind of stand on top of a pedestal and, and shout it out to your prospective students. You can have your current students really help tell that narrative and draw out what makes that experience different. Uh, the other thing that I've, that I've seen, uh, which is pretty, innovative and unique is I've seen companies now um, helping prepare high school students or helping prepare uh, undergraduate students who are looking to graduate programs, helping them understand like what their career goals are, where their interests are, like kind of profiling them or like coaching them a little bit. Think of like your high school guidance counselor who sat you down and said, oh, well, you're interested in these set of things. Uh, let's find a good match for you. So I've seen some agency models recently that are doing like this one-to-one -one matching, which again, from an experience standpoint, if, if you can 
if, if I'm a, an, an enrollment advisor or working at uh, the admissions office at a major university or college, and I know that the, the student, the incoming student, that their interests and their career goals and maybe their mission in life already align with what we can provide as a university, then that experience is going to feel a lot more authentic. And that can truly also be a differentiator. So I, I just, I love those two places where agencies are starting to innovate and um, solve, solve for this kind of student recruitment or this, uh, this recruitment marketing problem that we're, that we're now facing. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm not familiar with, uh, with those models. And so I, I look forward to learning more. Um, and uh, we can talk offline about who some of the, the players in the space are right now that you think are, are doing it right. But uh, I want to transition and talk a little bit about brand equity and something mm -hmm. that we talked about a couple, uh, I guess it was just a couple days ago when we first sort of connected. Uh, you you barely scratched the surface and just started to uh, allude to sort of some thoughts that you have around how a school's curriculum really helps to build its brand equity, especially in the environment we're all living through today. I'm hoping you can just give, you can just tease this out for us a little bit and give us sort of a, a, a crash course one-on-one on brand equity and why you think that a school's curriculum is one of the uh, uh, most important assets to helping to build that institution's equity. Yeah, a great question. So brand equity is the premium that you can place from a, from a price standpoint on top of two items. So using your Kroger example, you have the generic version of, of milk. <laughs> it costs $1.99 for, for a gallon. Hopefully that's close to the price. I'm not sure I haven't shopped it lately for, for milk. And then you have the you know premium soy or, or almond milk. And they could very well be the same ingredients, the same products at the surface. So when we think, when we talk about brand equity, it's the premium that you can add on top of that baseline price that largely is because of the perceived value of the brand. Like you're getting a better product, or in this case, you're getting a better school experience or college experience or a better degree even. And so that brand equity is like essentially the, the, premier, the premium or the increase in the cost, the tuition fee that you could that you can charge compared to, let's say, a trade school or compared to a certification through Coursera or Udemy or any of these other places. So I am a firm believer that the faculty's research, the faculty's mentorship, the faculty's curriculum, right, was that was a question you had, that those are those are the uh, the things that substantiate in a in a large part the brand equity that's still applied to the college experience compared to other like educational mo models or educational uh, platforms that you could go and learn and and basically level up your skills. So break down what the value of, of college is. Let's say you have the network that you build, right? And the, and the people you meet, meet and the connections that, uh, that you meet along the way. You have the social experience. Well, COVID has done a nice job kind of eliminating that. Uh, you have the, like the skills training, and I'm thinking mostly about like hard skills. So I went to arts 
school, for example, you know, they taught me how to light a, a scene and take a good quality photograph. Maybe they taught me how to use the pen tool and illustrator and, and uh, design a logo. So those kind of skills-based training. And then lastly, and I would say most importantly, even though this is the thing that is being criticized, I hear criticized a lot, is the mentorship, the guidance, the research opportunities, the coaching that comes from your faculty comes from the experience of working one-on-one -on -one with a faculty member across the entire course of your college education. So should I go out on a limb here? Faculty is still the premium driver for brand equity in higher education. And I'll stand behind that. And yeah, maybe faculty need, need to learn how to evolve and change. And we could talk about that if you want, but that's, uh, that's currently where, where I see the brand equity of universities primarily being held still. Very, very well said. And, uh, ooh, gosh, so many follow-up questions. Um, I need to be selective. Uh, let me uh, add a little bit to that, and then, and then I'll have a question for you. So when I think about my university experience, I think about I went to a big state school, um, and one of the, you know, it, cool brand, um, Lots going on, you know, 30,000 plus uh, students. And one of the things that I, that I always found hard was to, you know, break down, like what is our, 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 low, our tagline was like where, where innovation is tradition or something like that. And mm -hmm. trying to, as somebody who cared about marketing from um, and has thought a lot about branding from a relatively young age, um, was trying to make sense of like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, what, like, how, how do I feel that when I'm, is it when I'm walking around the campus? Is it based off of like the design of the buildings? Are they innovative? Um, is it in the coursework itself? Like, is, is it really new? I don't, it doesn't really feel new. Um, right. And, and what does it actually mean to like, uh, experience a tagline, um, in a way that's all but tangible. And the closest thing I ever came to uh, understanding that uh, and, and really experiencing that tagline in action was through my uh, relationship with faculty members. And there were two faculty right. members in particular where they were both from the school of business and I, their mentorship and their coaching their uh, I, I did a couple of independent studies with them and it was really through their guidance through their membership through the, the knowledge base that just exists um in, you know in their offices uh in in their minds where i really came to understand that oh no okay this is where innovation lives like innovation thoughtful new ideas um are sourced here i'm not finding them in the textbook that i'm you know you know, uh, uh, reading through and marketing 301, it's it's with Dr. So-and-so. And so I think that that is, is spot on. And I feel like there is just a real lack of, I don't know if it's awareness, I don't know if it's because of resources, but especially at the undergraduate level, I don't feel like the faculty leadership is what is led with um, with respect to enrollment marketing and student recruitment, it, it really does seem to be like experience first, programs and majors second, or athletics first, programs and majors second. And I think to your point, in this environment where the social component is a little bit more complicated, 
what are schools left with um, and how do schools think differently about leveraging faculty leadership, faculty thought leadership as a vehicle through which to recruit next generations of students. So that was a lot. I guess my question for you is how do, how do schools go about doing this? The ones that aren't doing it right now, folks that are struggling to do it in, in from Ian's perspective, what would a successful, um, um, uh, I guess, recruitment program, marketing sort of campaign look like that really did prioritize and leverage faculty thought leadership? Yeah, thank you for sharing your experience and supporting my thesis statement. I appreciate that. Always, always. I'm <laughs> I, always here for you. <laughs> I, I think most of us who have gone through higher education and 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 walked away, maybe even dropped out, but you know, had it at least a taste of it, would agree that somewhere along the the way, there was one faculty member or a handful of faculty member that really made a difference in their thinking and their trajectory in life maybe help them figure out that this is the wrong program. Instead of business school, I should be going over to the art school or vice versa. So yeah, how can, how can universities tease this out or, or how can they leverage? Um, so, you know, as a student of marketing, you know that marketing is really a give get exchange. So you have to give away something of value, just like this podcast. Hopefully people will listen to this podcast, see enough value in it, get enough value from it rather, and then maybe want to uh, to look a little bit deeper into Enrollify or maybe look a little bit deeper into Ian Evenstar and Unincorporated's team. So if colleges can find a way to give away some of the curriculum and and, and maybe do like a content audit first, on you know, what parts of the curriculum could we actually put into a consumable piece of media? Like maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's a, uh, a PDF or even a, a video series. If you can give away some of that curriculum and in exchange for that, get the prospective student's interest, then you can start to really draw out, you know, is this a good fit on both sides of it? We, we have something at the agency, it's called a content marketing supply chain. And basically what that means is you, you start with a two hour lecture, you break that down into a transcript, which maybe becomes five or six different blogs. From there, you have some pull quotes, or maybe you have some diagrams within the text that you could uh, design and then put those through on Instagram. So there's, there's this whole like supply chain that you can draw from even just a two hour lecture. So take any topic, if you're at the business school, for example, and you're, you're, you're discussing brand equity and, and how it fluctuates in the market, take a, you know, a solid lecture on that, break it down and find a way to give parts of that away. And I think that that's, that will probably have more impact and a, and a longer return on investment than what most universities do, or, or at least what they, they have been doing, which is like showing the stuffy old picture of faculty even star and, you know, a long list of accolades and, you know, a long bio. Students don't care about that. They don't want to read someone's bio. But maybe if someone were to take my lecture on how to win without pitching, taking from uh, Blair N's book, Win Without Pitching, and digest that the way that they might digest that on a masterclass or a Coursera, then all of a sudden, oh, I'd really like to work with this individual. I could see how this program could actually help me. 
So I, th I think that's a very um, easy starting place for many universities. And we always go into this conversation with what type of content marketing can we do around your curriculum, around the thought leadership that you have in this subject, and then use that to, to really you know, build out your, your full marketing calendar and your editorial calendar. Do you think, I guess, what role then do you think faculty play in student recruitment and marketing? Are, like, one, I, I love this idea. I love the idea of a teaser course, or I'm even thinking like, imagine you're going to a college or university website and you go to a faculty, you know, the faculty in the school of business, you go to their, you know, big about page or whatever, and then you can watch a, you know, 30 minute TED talk, right? That's uh, uh, about what you teach in your course. And I think that that sort of value, right, that does rival um, that of a Coursera or a Udemy, like is the solution, as, is at least sort of like a step in the right direction for many schools that are, again, struggling to figure out how to better leverage faculty. But I guess my question is, one of the challenges, obviously, one of the friction points is faculty are really busy. They don't necessarily, not all of them are willing and or able to talk regularly to prospective students. And if the more thought leadership that you put out under your brand, right, your the faculty's personal brand, uh, the more in all likelihood prospects are going to want to talk to that individual or uh, someone related to, to him or her in order to help make their, their purchasing decision. So in your, in the framework that you've laid out, do you think it's essential that faculty members are a part of the student recruitment process or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So there's a number of things. Number one question you asked was if a faculty is too busy, like how do you still use their thought leadership in order to, uh, to recruit students? That's one of the, the great uh, upsides to working in zoom these days, right. And delivering online courses is you can record a lecture and then your marketing and communications team or an agency like unincorporated can go through and groom some of those highlights and then leverage that for a more robust brand awareness campaign or a more robust uh, student recruitment marketing campaign. That was question um, one of the questions I heard. Another question was, you know, are our faculty or should faculty be enlisted to help support the efforts of a university and student recruitment? And heck yes, of definitely. Like, and I, th I think most faculty, they want to, like, or at least they want to be featured prominently on the, the program's webpage, but they may not know exactly how they could support it. You know, marketing, branding, how to, how to take, you know, their, their research or, or their uh, writing and, and their points of view, how to take that and put that into a marketing plan. They're probably not well enough equipped to do that. So I think that, yes, they should be folded into the overall strategy of student recruitment, but no, they're probably not equipped to just do that right out of the gate. And I think the other factor that's at play here and why you probably don't see this uh, happening more often is they're under direct fire. Like people are saying like, oh, you know, faculty are slow to adjust. They're, they're basing their courses around, you know, learning outcomes that don't relate. I, I see all these stats about how there's these all these hard skill or digital jobs that faculty aren't preparing the, you know, the youth for these for these jobs. So, so they feel in a, in, almost in a way like on, on, on the defense. So if we were to reach across and say, 
you are really important to this university's brand equity. You're really important to what makes this course and this program and this school special and unique. You are one of the main reasons why a student should come here. Let's work together to bring out some of your thought leadership so that we can best prepare these students for their career or possibly for you know, a, a higher education beyond that graduate level education. Love it. So we're just about at time, uh, actually slightly over, and I want to respect your time, sir. But I have uh, one final question for you before I let you go. And it's, uh, you can take this in whatever direction that you want, but it's no surprise to our listeners that higher ed, again, is just going through massive change and lots of disruption. Value props are, are all, you know, in, in all sorts of questions. Um, and... I'm curious from your perspective, how might branding and good, distinct differentiation save higher ed? Well, <laughs> again, a final question with a, a lot of different directions we could go. I'd love to do a follow-up just yes. on that one we topic. We will. It's a, it's a choose your own adventure. Like <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure <laughs> yeah. right now. Exactly. 20, 20 different subtopics in that question. I'll give you one specific place where branding can help. Branding can help call it, save colleges, is, is how you frame that question, or, or save universities by guiding them through the process of why they're still relevant today. We see this not just in higher ed, but in the open market and, and with uh, privately held, publicly held brands as well, where you are so intimately involved in the day-to-day -day operations of your organization, your company, or your school, that you're kind of like living in this fog. And so branding, a branding expert, a consultant can come in and say, these are the places where you're creating confusion for your students. These are the places where you're creating confusion even with, within your dean's cabinet. These are the places where you're creating confusion with your faculty. So let us kind of alleviate some of that fog, clarify your message, give you a you know, one-liner or a, a solid brand narrative that we can follow now and bring university forward out of that fog. We, we create that fog for ourselves, and you need that outside perspective. So I, I'd say the short answer to this is branding, design, and marketing can help save education by bringing them out of this fog that they're in right now. Like, how do we respond? How do we stay relevant? How do we compete? How do we message what our unique value proposition is today? I'll give you another uh, example of this, specific example of this. The, the entire time we were on uh, stay-at-home orders, there wasn't, to my knowledge, there wasn't a single university. Have you ever read any uh, Malcolm Gladwell? Yes, I, I'm a big fan. Okay, so one of Malcolm Gladwell's theories is that it's not just about hard work that makes you an outlier or leads to success. It's the right time at the right place. The entire time we were going through this COVID experience together, I didn't see a single university, and this is what I, I'm trying to remind students even today in class, I didn't see a single university come out and say, 
online learning at home, it stinks. <laughs> it is so different compared to how you're learning in class. But guess what? You are the first generation to transition into this new norm, to learn how to learn online, interact online, sell yourself, communicate through this environment, this strange environment of a microphone and a camera. And because of that, you are now going to be set up for success in the next 10, 15 years, even in the next two years. So branding can, can help clarify or pivot a message like that. Like why, why didn't university come out and say education at the highest level is still critical. And not only is it critical, but if you're thinking about taking a gap year right now, forget it because this experience you're about to have on online learning is the exact thing that's going to differentiate you and set you up for success. Cause you're going to be the first generation to know how it's done. Wow. That was so beautifully said. Uh, I, I think, uh, amen is, is in order there. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And I, I think you're right. I, I have not seen, um, anyone do anyone sort of craft messaging that's even close to a, a sentiment like that. Oh gosh, there's a lot more. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta wrap this one up for sure. But, um, Ian, I think what we have concluded is that we just need to, uh, do another episode because there's a lot more to unpack here. So, um, we'll, to. we'll get something on, on the books, uh, uh soon. Before we, we jump, though, if folks want to get in touch with you and learn more about uh, Unincorporated or just want to have a, a, an exploratory conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So I make myself available to anyone that wants to jump on my calendar for 15 minutes. I love uh, meeting people, hearing their challenges. You can email me at ian at unincorporated.com or you can go right to the website and fill out the contact form, unincorporated.com. If you Google my name, you're gonna see every single social platform. I've done a pretty good job branding Ian Evenstar. So of course you can find me that way as well. I would love to come back and have a follow-on conversation to this, Zach. Thanks for including me. Thanks for believing in higher ed. And yeah, just giving us a space to really draw out, you know, ways that we can support the mission of higher education. Of course. Fantastic. Well, sir, thank you as always um, for, for your time and we will circle back and get you on the show again soon. Sounds good. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.